Hello and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. Today we will be talking about the 4th of July, also known as Independence Day. I'm Beth, and I'm going to be sharing some interesting facts about Independence Day. I'm Randy, and I will be talking about 4th of July fireworks. I'm Sydney, and I will be talking about a fun 4th of July craft. I'm Cole, and I'm going to be talking about some of the Germans in the Revolutionary War. So we will be talking about Independence Day. This is the 243rd birthday of our nation, so we are excited to share some fun, interesting information about that. But as always, we begin with our holiday happenings for the week. I think Sydney has one to share. I do. So I was at Hobby Lobby yesterday looking at fun decorations for summer and all that fun stuff. You know, lots of beach decorations and lake decorations. And I went around a corner of an aisle to go down another aisle and I saw all kinds of fall decorations. Now, the actual first day of summer in 2019 is June 21st. So it's not even happening. It's not even, the, it's not even technically summer yet. And yet, there are all kinds of fall decorations. So I almost did get a couple, but I stopped myself. I think, I think stores don't necessarily take advantage of how much summer stuff they could put out if they have room for fall stuff. But hey, on the other hand, for people who like fall, like us, it's a fun jump to the season. Yes. That's right. So I guess Hobby Lobby is a little bit excited about fall coming. <laughs> yeah. have some fun things to share with everybody. I've got a couple holiday happenings for the week. One is that we were able to finish our decorating for Memorial Day, which is actually decorating for the whole summer, really, because we get our flags out and our patriotic decorations out. It's not a lot that we have, so that it fits in pretty well with our summer things. We have flags, and there's a lot of them. So... <laughs> Do we have a lot of variety? No. Do we have quantity? Yes. <laughs> like, you know, we're saying this as there's a full-sized American flag in our behind, entryway. Yeah, behind us in our entryway, atop a giant e- eagle, eagle sitting atop statue, sitting atop of the Liberty kinda, Bell yes. replica. Yeah. yeah, and that's so, a good chest but, height. But that's one thing. That's, you, that counts as one. <laughs> that's a huge one. <laughs> that's a very <laughs> large one. <laughs> I won't disagree, but it still counts as one. Right, right. It's a very multi-layered one, too. The other thing I mentioned was I was excited to be at Magic Kingdom for Memorial Day this year and see how they celebrated Memorial Day. I have to say, I think I was in the wrong place to actually see any celebrating going on. I thought I'd, you know, I'd see it at the flag. I just didn't see as much as I thought. They had some holiday merchandise that you could buy they had some shirts they had some plates but not a lot of decor that they had it was basically one little tiny area i thought i ended up going over to epcot i think on tuesday into the american pavilion in world showcase and they actually had more obviously american kind of fourth of july kind of stuff mm-hmm. oh. um uh, memorial day things which is where i ended up buying it but bought i'd gotten some things for the family and one of the things i got for sydney was a fourth of july ish kind of shirt with mickey and minnie on it so like i said there, there wasn't a lot going on wasn't as much as i thought going on at one point i noticed their flag was half staff 
And then later it was at full staff, so that was a little confusing. So I didn't actually get to see a lot of specific Memorial Day things. They have a Dapper Dan's singing barbershop quartet. So uh, I stopped on my way out on Memorial Day to listen to them. And they were singing American patriotic tunes. So that was interesting, but it wasn't nearly as much as I thought it was going to be. But still lots of fun to be at Disney that week. Even though it was really hot. Yeah, I was in the upper 90s most of the week. So that was pretty hot. Pretty hot. Had to head indoors for the afternoons. I did not get to go with Randy to Disney. So I did not get to experience that incredible heat. But I do have some interesting facts about Independence Day. Fun. (laughs) Right? Okay. So, only John Hancock actually signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. All the others signed later. Right. So, when I was looking up why do we celebrate specifically on July 4th the independence of our nation, what I saw was that it was the day that the Continental Congress agreed to the wording in the Declaration of Independence, not the day when they all signed it. Like you said, most of them signed it in August. Yeah, most of them signed it later. You're right. I think yeah. John Hancock has probably got the most famous signature. He does, he does. <laughs> he signed it with very large print because he wanted the king to be able to see it without his glasses. <laughs> so funny. Well, that's why uh, we say... All right, put your John Hancock on right, there, for your, yeah. yeah, for your signature. <laughs> Most people know what that means. Mm-hmm. Another fact, the Declaration of Independence was signed by 56 men from 13 colonies. The average age of the signers of the Declaration of Independence was 45. The youngest was Thomas Lynch Jr., who was 27, from South Carolina, The oldest delegate was Benjamin Franklin, who was 70, of Pennsylvania. Good old Ben. The lead author of the Declaration, Thomas Jefferson, was 33. Interesting age gaps. Right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, 27 to 70. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I guess because when we refer to them, we always refer to them as the Founding Fathers. I always think of them as being older of of one generation but that the age gap that you told us clearly shows that it's over several generations right so that's very interesting that all these people came together to sign the declaration of independence okay another fact is that congress made independence day an official unpaid holiday for federal employees in 1870 in 1938 Congress changed Independence Day to a paid federal holiday. Yay for Congress. (laughs) The stars on the original American flag were in a circle, so all the colonies would appear equal. Each star represented a colony. They appear equal, but there's still one at the top and there's still one at the bottom. But which one? Right. Probably Georgia. The the top one. (laughs) Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. (laughs) It was the capital at the time. That's right. Yeah. The first Independence Day celebration took place in Philadelphia on July 8th, 1776. This was also the day that the Declaration of Independence was first read in public after people were summoned by the ringing of the Liberty Bell. The White House held its first 4th of July party in 1801. The presidents, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Monroe, all died on the 4th of July. 
both Adams and Jefferson signed the Declaration, and they died on the same day within hours of each other in 1826. I thought I remembered something like that happening. Yeah. It's very intriguing. Same year, same day, within hours of each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, this one makes me laugh because I've heard this before. Benjamin Franklin proposed the turkey as the national bird, but was overruled by John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, who recommended the bald eagle. <laughs> that would be a very awkward Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, my goodness. To Can eat you? eagle? Yeah. <laughs> no, to eat the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to eat the symbol of our country. <laughs> like if we ate eagles instead of turkey. Right, because most people say that would be awkward. Like, because, yeah. oh, that would be eating. But we wouldn't eat it, right? So we'd have to eat something It'd else. It'd be the so national we, bird. We couldn't eat it. Right, so, so now we'd have to so eat, we, eat the bottom. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a much larger bird. Yeah, very gamey, probably. Yeah. Not a lot of fat on Not the eagle. In 1776... <laughs> Not me. <laughs> in 1776, there were 2.5 million people living in the new nation. Today, the population of the USA is 329 million. Oh, my. So, it went from 2.5 in the new nation to 329 million today. Very interesting. Very large increase. We spend more on condiments on the 4th of July or around the 4th of July than chips and dip combined. So, condiments, big part of our barbecues in the United States. Approximately 150 million hot dogs and 750 million pounds of chicken are consumed on this day. Wow. We chicken, like that. that's interesting. Because yeah. I usually think like burgers. Yeah, same here. Yeah. But I guess if you're doing a barbecue, then... I guess all the trimmings. Hot dogs are by far the most consumed. On this day. Yeah, I was going to say the most consumed meat on this day, but it's... But, but are hot dogs real meat? <laughs> is that where you were going with that? No. no. Every 4th of July, the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia is tapped, not actually rung, 13 times in honor of the original 13 colonies. No idea that happened. That's really interesting. And like tapped, is it like with your finger with like a little like chime? I'm guessing they have like a little, like a tiny little hammer or something. That's so cute. I'm guessing. Like a gavel-sized. Yeah. (laughs) We can look that up. We should chime ours 13 times on 4th of July. We should. We can try it. Be more of a thud, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't actually have something in it. Traditions place the origins of Yankee Doodle as a pre-revolutionary war song originally sung by British military officers to mock the disheveled, disorganized colonial Yankees with whom they served in the French and Indian War. It is believed that the tune comes from the nursery rhyme, Lucy Lockett. Oh, that's my favorite. (laughs) How's that going again? Something Lucy Lockett, something pocket. (laughs) Forgot the hocket. I don't know. (laughs) And actually, that reminds me, I think I learned years ago in history class that the song... That the British played when they were finally defeated, I mean, last battle, before America became its own independent country, was something like the world is turned upside down, whereas the Americans celebrated with Yankee Doodle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They embraced it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they changed it from something mocking. They owned it. They decided it was theirs, so they went ahead and took it, which is a good way to turn something around, I guess. Yeah. 
Okay, there you go. Fun facts about the Independence Day holiday time Fun. frame. So something else that's interesting about Independence Day is that we actually started celebrating the 4th of July, Independence Day, the very first anniversary of the event. So a lot of times for our holidays, they're created years after the actual event took mm-hmm. place, you know, based on you know, years of looking back nostalgically or small towns celebrating this. But actually in Philadelphia, and I think that in Boston too, they celebrated that next year. And in Philadelphia, they celebrated on July 4th, 1777. And they were excited to do so. Which is interesting because the war wasn't even over at That's that right. Point. We were still the in the war. The war would still be going on for yeah. a few more years. Yeah, until 1783, the war was still going on. So I wondered how long ago fireworks were used because fireworks have been around for a long time. Right. But did we use them in the early celebrations of the 4th of July? And the answer is yes, that actually, even in the very beginning, there were displays of fireworks uh, in celebration of the 4th of July. John Adams actually wrote in a letter to his wife Abigail on July 3rd, 1776. He wrote about the occasion of the agreeing on the Declaration of Independence and eventually its signing that the occasion should be commemorated, quote, with pomp and parade, with shoes, that's S-H-E-W-S, so that's basically shows, Games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he was quite the predictor, wasn't he? And so the first commemoration of Independence Day fireworks were set off on July 4th, 1777 in Philadelphia. And the uh, Pennsylvania Evening Post, which was the paper at the time, wrote, The evening was closed with the ring of bells, and at night, there was a grand exhibition of fireworks, which began and concluded with 13 rockets on the commons, and the city was beautifully illuminated. The paper noted that everything was conducted with the greatest order and decorum, and the face of joy and gladness was universal. Oh. Yeah, I know. So by 1783, which was the end of the war, a large variety of fireworks were available to the public. And in 1784, one merchant offered... A range of pyrotechnics that included rockets, serpents, wheels, table rockets, cherry trees, fountains, and sunflowers. What about dragons? <laughs> I guess not. I guess not at that time. So I thought it was interesting that John Adams had predicted that this would be celebrated. It should be celebrated. And in fact, many of the ways it was celebrated back then are still celebrated today with fireworks and parades and picnics and get-togethers. So it was a fun thing for everybody. So the fireworks that were used back then weren't the rockets that were set way up in the sky to explode. They tended to be more ground-oriented rockets or not too far into the sky. Well, that sounds fun. Ground-oriented <laughs> well, rockets. <laughs> so you think about those like the spinning wheels that were on a platform. Mm-hmm. So they actually said that the centerpieces of the fireworks back then were raised platforms covered with fireworks arranged to evoke patriotic images. For instance, George Washington's profile. <laughs> there were some rockets, but they were crude by contemporary standards. So a little history of fireworks for those that aren't aware. I think most people connect fireworks back with China, although some historians have suggested that India was the first to invent fireworks. It seems that fireworks came to the West by way of China. So most of the early fireworks were simply repurposed military munitions 
fired for entertainment rather than to frighten or kill somebody. So in the 12th century, the Chinese improved the burning fire arrow, which was a long-established weapon, by affixing small packs of gunpowder to it. From there, it was not long before they invented rockets, simply stuffing a container with gunpowder and leaving a hole in one end for propulsion. They were called ground rats or fire rats and were wildly unpredictable. Although they made them less effective, it did contribute to the entertainment value. Something else that was very effective that the Chinese did was they would pack large handheld baskets with, I want to say, around 10 to 15 spears and then use gunpowder to launch all of the spears (laughs) in one direction. Kind of like a a medieval shotgun. It was called the Nest of Bees. (laughs) That's funny. Wow. The rockets from the 12th century made their palace hall debut when the Emperor Li Sung brought them before the Empress Kung Sheng. But when one scurried up to her, she gathered up her skirts and brought the feast to a halt. So one kind of shot towards her. <laughs> she was like, okay, <laughs> She's that's like, it. This is done. done. <laughs> done. Um, during the Renaissance, fireworks became popular in Europe, and they were used in nationalist and imperialist celebrations by figures like Peter the Great and Louis XIV, who were especially big fans of power tactics. So fireworks have actually been around for a long time, so it's not surprising that they were used. And often in wars, like you think of the... Revolutionary War, the cannons and the firings, you know, they, they kind of had a fireworky element to them in that they were gunpowdery. And yeah, no, it's interesting. A lot of people that I've uh, talked to, you know, we have our part of the anthem that says the rockets... Red glare. Red glare. So a lot of people think that's fireworks or cannons, and it's actually neither of those. So something very unique to the British was that they used rockets in... Warfare, So they had these platforms that they would set rockets up and launch them. They weren't as accurate as cannons, but if you launched a ton of them... And they, that was something that was unique to the British because they got it from India. Right. And those are what fireworks were because basically a firework is a propulsion system to launch another explosion. So right. Right, it's, I'm creating this propulsion mechanism, the rocket, that propels the this fuse that's lighting towards the propulsive. So sometimes the fuse to the actual explosive part would go fast and it would blow up midair, mm-hmm. right? So you would see the rockets hitting and blowing up in the sky, which were useless, but their intent was to make the rocket get to a location that the enemy forces were and blow up there. Yeah. Yeah, and the British, it was used so effectively against the British because, well, if you think about how the British fight with big groups of soldiers, so they sort of took that, they're like, all right, this was used very well against us, so we'll just adapt and use it against the revolutionary. That's right. So the interesting thing about fireworks, even today, is that they're still handcrafted, and which I didn't realize. You think about how many fireworks are they shot are? off. Yeah, they're handcrafted. Now, their pieces of them are manufactured, but the connecting them together and the packing is still handmade in either China or Mexico. The chemicals are carefully packed into devices, which are almost always paper tubes or containers. The paper tube or container is manufactured. That's the part that also has the writing on it. But the actual chemicals packing them is still a labor-intensive craft with very little automation. So there are generally 30 types of fireworks and roughly 90 different effects. So the effects are the things that make the shapes Basically, that's the part that we're the most familiar with. And then up to 20 different color combinations. 
So that was interesting to look up those. And I, I looked them up to see. I'm most familiar with Disney fireworks. And you think of some of the newer ones where they have stars and spirals and, and those sorts of things. Uh, so they actually they have them listed all in here. They have not figured out how to make some letters. Letters are like the gold mine of fireworks. If you can spell something out, that means you've gained complete control of the, the mechanism. Because you think about the problem with any shape is the orientation of it, right? So if it blows up sideways, all you're going to see is like a line, right? If it blows right. up like against the audience perpendicular. So you want it to be parallel to the audience so that they can see the intended shape. And that's, I'd say, one of the areas that's being worked on in the firework arena. So there are basically five elements to a launching firework. There's the stick that basically is the supporting mechanism that points you in a direction. So that's the, the bottom part. There's the fuse, and this starts the main part of the fireworks. The fuse is the part that you like to launch the rocket into the air. So this is just the, the starter fuse that launches up. There's a fuse within a fuse. The inner fuse is the one that's going to ultimately light the effect off. There's the charge, which is the motor. So once the first fuse hits the charge, that's the part that'll launch the rocket into the sky up a certain distance. And the charge is also controlled so you can figure out how high do you want this thing to go before the second fuse hits the effect. So the effect is those 90 different things, those 20 different colors. That's the part where you want it to be oriented in a certain way. And then the last piece is the head. That's the aerodynamic top of the cone. So those are the main pieces of any firework. I kind of wonder what the future of fireworks are, right? So we know that one of the things is that people that use fireworks displays like Disney would love to be able to spell things. Because once you could spell things, then you can pretty much do any kind of shape that you want. But actually, Hollywood and the Army are actually doing a lot of work together on shaping the future of fireworks because they have similar needs, although for different reasons. One of the things that they both like to do is get rid of smoke, the blowing smoke. Now, it's interesting because Disney actually used compressed air to launch fireworks rather than the initial fuse launch, and they can get the fireworks up higher than a regular launch system. But you still have the blowing smoke from the effect itself. So I know when we've gone to big shows, you get a lot of smoke if there's no wind, right? So you kind of want a little bit of wind, but not a lot of wind right. when right. you're in a fireworks show because you want the shape, but you want enough wind to blow the smoke out for the next launch. And you have absolutely no control over it. Right, and you have no control some over it. Some days will be great, and some just won't. Right, so they're actually trying to figure out ways to reduce the amount of gunpowder they use because gunpowder is a dirty burn, so it creates a lot of smoke. So they're coming up with other materials that potentially could be used to do the fuse portion and the, reduce the amount of smoke along the way. The other thing they're trying to do is reduce the toxicity of fireworks. So right now they use perchlorate, which is very toxic, as part of the combusting the shape of the fireworks. So they're trying to figure out some alternative chemicals because if you think about Areas that do a lot of fireworks, like Disney, like the military where they have training grounds. All that particles falling constantly on the ground can actually affect the groundwater. So the military is interested in reducing that. The other thing that is being worked on right now is something called silent fireworks. So right now, obviously, 
if you're around animals or livestock, or like in the case of Disney Animal Kingdom, they don't do fireworks near animals that you don't want to disturb. But you could do fireworks displays if you could have silent fireworks or less noisy fireworks. There's been quite a bit of work in Europe on silent fireworks to reduce the noise of that. Another thing that's uh, being addressed is daytime fireworks. So today, most fireworks are at nighttime because that's when you can see the most color and the shapes. But there is a desire to have daytime fireworks. And what you need there is brighter colors. Different parts of Europe have worked on daytime fireworks, which I thought was interesting. Another thing is uh, what they call 3D choreography. So this is that control of the design so that you could orientate a shape towards you, but also make it three-dimensional because you're packing a set of chemicals into a shape to make the effect the way you want. It's actually a three-dimensional effect anyways. So could you figure out a way to create that and time it so that not only does it make a star, but it makes a three-dimensional star, like it comes out in multiple ways. They've been experimenting on that. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. One interesting fact I thought on top of Beth's is that next to the Department of Defense, Walt Disney World is the largest purchaser of explosives in the United States. (laughs) What makes sense? They do it every night. Right. Just in Hollywood Studios, they had Fantasmic at the same time that they had the Galactic Celebration. And then they had another show at the same Chinese theater location just before that. So they had multiple fireworks shows in one park. And then you add on to that Illuminations at Epcot, one or two shows in Magic Kingdom for Happily Ever After. And then now with the new Rivers of Light show, I think there may be some small... Maybe uh, not fireworks, fireworks, but they might be some kind of pyrotechnics. Yeah, Yeah, they definitely are pyrotechnics. And then that doesn't include Disneyland. Yeah, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's exactly right. That's just Florida. Right. Yeah. So thank you very much, Dad. That was fascinating. Uh, Very explosive topic. Very explosive. (laughs) Speaking of fireworks, I have a little firework firework craft. What? They actually look more like TNT little fuses than fireworks. But hey, it's red, white, and blue colors. Yeah, little um, sticks of TNT there. Yeah. So I haven't completely finished this craft yet, but the idea is to make little wooden fireworks in various heights in the red, white, and blue colors. So so in order to make this craft, I can post a picture when it's finally done up on Facebook later. First of all, I went to Lowe's. I was looking for rectangle pieces of wood. So they had a lot of rectangular pieces of wood, but they were super long, and I didn't feel like cutting them or finding the tools to cut them. That, that's more accurate, I think. So I then went to our handy-dandy trusty Michaels, and they had small pieces of rectangular wood. Uh, I found a whittler's kit. Some of it had two taller rectangular pieces of wood, and sometimes it had two shorter ones. It came in packs of three, so I could mix and match. So it's probably, I would guess, those pieces of wood are probably one and a half by one and a half by four inches and by five inches, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so then I got um, red, white, and blue paint. I still had some white paint left over from other crafts that I've done. So 
I grabbed that and I started painting. I painted the top third in blue and then two other thirds in white. So my thought is to then put red stripes on the white and white stars on the blue. Cute. And then so I have this big block that I painted white. I'm going to put red stripes on this one. I have a big block that I painted blue. I'm going to put white stars on it. So that's going to be this little bunch. Right? And you three. make that a set. And make it a set. Mm-hmm. What I also have is cording. So it looks like very small rope that I can put around it a couple times and make into bows and make it more rustic. Much more homey. Much more homey. And then string at the top for the fuse. Oh, that's fun. For the little firework. It'll, it'll more look like square TNT. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, like a little pack of square TNT. Yeah, something that you might find on like Scooby-Doo or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but much more patriotic. <laughs> and much more patriotic, yeah. yeah. Unless it was the Scooby-Doo uh, Independence Day special. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Do they have those? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'm also making another little set... So I have two smaller pieces of wood, one I painted white, one I painted blue, and the bigger one that I painted red. The smaller white one, I'm going to put red stripes on. The smaller blue one, I'm going to put white stars on. And the bigger red block, I'm going to put white stars on as well. Now, how are you going to do the stars? Hand draw them, or what are you going to do? I the, could. The decal? The... I was throwing around the idea of possibly getting out a star hole punch and punching a piece of paper and using it as a stencil and just painting white right on over it Mm -hmm. um, just to make it easy on myself yeah um those should be very cute this is a kind of time consuming craft not hard at all like kids could do it it's just it'd be much more messy if kids did it it would be but you know, you'd also have to wait a while for the paint to dry and then paint it over, a second coat on it. Right, because you've got multiple layers of paint that you're working with. Yeah. Did you put two coats on those? I did. Yeah, because I would imagine with a white, you would see the wood through it pretty easily. Definitely. And that's what I found out with my snowman craft. Yeah. Was that I could definitely see the wood very well through the white. So definitely made sure to put two coats on. It's kind of a lesson learned that I took away from other crafts. I think older kids could do it, and this is super fun, and it would turn into a very cute decoration. And really, this would also be like a cute little gift to somebody as well. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Oh, and I almost forgot. Thank you for reminding me, Cole. I got these alphabet tiles from Michael's just to like kind of switch it up, do something a little unique. So I found a lot of different ideas for this craft on Pinterest, so feel free to look on Pinterest for ideas, but I came up with the idea of maybe putting little alphabetical tiles. They look like the tiles that you would use on um, Scrabble. Scrabble, Scrabble. I do not suggest using ones from your Scrabble, but... um, (laughs) Unless you want the little numbers at the right. (laughs) Right, right. So I bought just a pack just to see what what was there, and um, I mean, you can spell the word brave, America, free... I also picked out the letters USA, and you could even, like, glue them on the sides of the TNT slash fireworks, just to make it fun and yep. unique. That's fun. That's so you can good. kind of, you can make this craft your own, too. Exactly. You don't have to just follow the, the instructions. Absolutely. 
So during the Revolutionary War, the British Empire was very large at the time, so it was spread very thin. Most of their troops would have been used in protecting European states and India at that time. But because India was the jewel in the British crown, but the colonies in America were still very important too. So what the British did, they were a very rich empire, was they hired German mercenaries, most of which were from the state of Hessen-Kassel at the time. So those were where we know the Hessians to come from, and they went over to fight for the British. Did you say at the time that Hess, that region, was highly militarized? Yes, so it's approximately 25% of the troops on the British side in the Revolutionary War were Germans. Um, So that's a much higher number than most people think of, because most people just hear about battles of, like, Trenton... But in every major battle in the Revolutionary War, there were Germans fighting for the British. And you're right that Hessen-Kassel at that time was the most militarized state in Europe, which is saying a lot because it's even more militarized than Prussia was at the time. And there's a very famous quote about Prussia. Prussia is not a nation with an army. It's an army with a nation. So... The Hessians would have been very, uh, very professionally trained, probably even more so than the British at the time. And it's worth noting that Hessians were what the revolutionaries called all German mercenaries. So not all German mercenaries that came to the colonies were actually from the state of Hessen-Kassel. Now, they were mercenaries, but they weren't mercenaries in the manner that we think of mercenaries, like going over to a foreign nation and being paid for your military service there. The Hessians served their king, who received all of the pay from the British. So he levied out his troops for the British at that time. That's interesting. I did not realize that. Yep, so the Hessians were not being paid by the man. Right, as a group, they were... It was almost like they bought an ally, right. which was the Germans. They, they basically purchased an army from a nation. Yeah, interesting. And the Hessians were used throughout Europe. The British had a lot of connections with many of the German states. Hanover was one of the, but you'd think of as not vassals, but maybe protectorates. So the Hessians had a lot of experience being bought by different European powers. What this meant was that uh, the revolutionaries did not have the same kind of dislike for the Hessians that they had for the British. Oh. So they had a lot of pamphlets that were very sympathetic to the Hessians, saying that the Hessians were being oppressed, the Hessians were, you know, being mistreated, to make themselves sympathetic to Hessians so that the Hessians would hopefully leave British service. And the, uh, the revolutionaries had passed sort of different acts offering things to the Hessians if they would either leave British service or join the revolutionaries. So it's kind of a, like a psychological campaign where they were creating these leaflets in the hope that the Hessian troops would read them right, right, and see opportunities for themselves in the country. Yep, and they had, the revolutionaries had people who would sneak into Hessian camps and like, Drop all these pamphlets everywhere. Oh, okay. Drop them for, yeah, for, <laughs> for the Hessians. I've read different things, like they offered farmland, a cow, and two pigs to any Hessian that would leave. What I actually learned in college, it was in a Virginia history class, 
was they offered 50 acres of farmland to any Hessian that would leave. And some sources say any Hessian that would leave, some sources say any Hessian that would join the revolutionaries. But sort of the bottom line of that is that they offered land and citizenship to Hessians that would leave British service. And a lot of Hessians did leave. And that was during... During and at the end of okay. the Revolutionary War. Okay. And we have a lot of German in our background on both sides. We actually took a ancestry test, one of the DNA tests, to find out where we came from. You in specifically the, in the for you, area. so yeah, you got both. Me. So we got long, both sides. Right, yeah. long side and my side. And then at the same time, you went back and dug through your family right. records. From right. the moon side. From right. the moon side. So looking through the paper records, which included a number of connections to either newspaper articles or birth certificates or death certificates, I was able to trace back part of our family to the state of Hesse. You know, mm-hmm. it was, I don't know, what do you call it? Hesse? Uh, Hesse and Kessel at that time. Hesse and Kessel. So a family member from that area that participated in... The Revolutionary War. So he was one of the mercenaries that Cole talked about that was sent over to the colonies to fight colonists yep. for the British. And then shortly after that is the record of him having farmland in western Pennsylvania. <laughs> so I don't have any record that says that he participated in those offerings of, mm-hmm. hey, if you quit the war, we'll give you 50 acres of land. Right. But... You can deduce. <laughs> <laughs> it was right in that time when yeah, it was came right. over, was in New Jersey area, and then was in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, and, it could um, be. Yeah. Coincidence. <laughs> and it's interesting because I know I was talking to you at one point and you said, well, we don't have any evidence that he actually fought in any battles. Mm-hmm. He just more left. But based on what I found out, he would have had to because Hessians fought in every battle in the revolution. But you don't know if he had come over... Found the pamphlet. He could have just come over and ditched immediately. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, you can dream. Yeah. <laughs> kind of the dine and dash. Yeah, thing. yeah, dine and dash. <laughs> Here's your meal, and then off you went. Yeah. But I read there's a lot of accounts of Hessians. They have a very interesting place in the revolution because they were fighting the colonists, but the colonists don't have animosity towards the Hessians that they had towards the British. And the Hessians didn't really like the British much either. They didn't like King George. They didn't like their king very much, generally speaking. And there's a lot of accounts of British sort of leaving the Hessians out to dry. Like the British would uh, like sneak away if they were retreating from a battle. And the Hessians, trained in Germany, were their, their officers would always tell yeah. them, no, advance. But I can see this is a battle. the British army, kind of their arrogance, thinking, oh, we've paid this other army. They're, they're highly skilled, highly trained. So we paid them to do hard things. So we're going to have them do hard things. And, you know, if we need to cut and run, they're going to be the last right. ones to go. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they were, they were very good at what they did. That's right. why all the states across Europe had already bought Hessians in various wars. It is interesting. Pennsylvania has a huge, huge German population. Yeah. So you do have to wonder how many of those Hessians <laughs> left service. Right. Because <laughs> there's a big area, a big German area in the Lancaster area, 
And there's a big German area where our family is from, which is northwestern Pennsylvania, the Mercer kind of area. Yeah, so it's interesting because there's the numbers are sort of somewhere between 20 and 30,000 Hessians went over to the colonies, and about half went back. So that's, <laughs> um, so they're sort of listed, you know, they would be sort of listed as casualties and MIA missing and, and MIA so you have to wonder how many of those are casualties and how many of those are MIA yeah. Yeah, quote you, unquote casualties yeah, it's like, <laughs> casualties to it's like oh no I am shot <laughs> I, I feel sick <laughs> yes Paul and I were talking and I wish there was a way to find a German record of whether or not our ancestor was missing in action or not. Because you would think Germans being very organized that they probably kept records of these kind of things. So yeah, right. Well, be especially because the state was so militarized yes. that and so professional with their right. military that they would be keeping records like that. Right. There's actually sources that I found online. I haven't used any of them yet. But there are sources like, find out more about your Hessian ancestor. No, that's, that's funny. hilarious. That's it's funny. such a specific thing. But, but, but you wonder if you go overseas to that area and you say, oh, our ancestor's from here. And they say, who's your ancestor? We say the name. Like they spit on the dirt. And they, <laughs> <laughs> they say, that person like, us. And his whole family. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you guys actually were in the state of Hesse. We were in our Viking cruise we took through the rivers of Germany. We were briefly in that region. So that yeah. was kind of fun to be kind of in the homeland. I didn't meet any relatives. I didn't recall the name. I think it was Schmidt. I think that was the line that I went through, but I don't remember the actual name at the time that I could, um, you know, bring up to people. Mm. I remember, like, before it became Moon, it was Moon, M-O-H-N. Well, but there's multiple lines, so you have to look at the Schmidt line, and then there's the M-O-H-N, the Moon line, Uh and then there's actually branches from there, too. So part of that moon line goes through multiple veins of Germany mm-hmm. and then also some veins in the Italy and in Great Britain, England at the time. Mm. Good um, point. Mom's is kind of the same way. So she's got the Britain line, right? And she's got the Pick line. The Pick line is the line that goes through the German side. So yeah. so we have a lot of different places in Germany. I'm sure we stepped all over ancestor areas at the time because we have a lot of different German background as well as some other European background. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And you know, the first time I've ever heard of a Hessian, I was very young and I was watching Looney Tunes. I don't <laughs> as know one does in our family. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Bunker Hill Bunny. It's a pretty old Looney Tunes episode and it is wonderful and it's where <laughs> Bugs Bunny is a colonist and fights Sam, who is a Hessian Without no aggression. Um, <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yeah. That's, Eventually. What, that's what I always remember. A Hessian without no aggression. Yeah. And so um, it's just the shenanigans of them. Like um, Bugs getting into his his little area and he getting into Bugs' area. And then like taking down flags and putting their flags off and realizing that the flags on their area have been switched. So running back and catching cannonballs in cannons and then firing them back yeah, that's right. as yeah. well because that's you know physics you know whatever <laughs> that's how that works yeah right? but well, um shenanigans is a good way to play shenanigans. Shenanigans. Yes. Yes. shenanigans shenanigans ensued i always found that bugs bunny cartoons were a great way to learn american history and history in general yes yeah. i mean that's that's how <laughs> as i found that historian i can, I can yes. confirm that yeah, that's right yes. very accurate. mom wanted to homeschool you officially i really <laughs> just wanted to introduce you to the bugs bunny history i will say that it is because of bugs bunny that i do know that 
St. Nick originates in Turkey. That's right. Yes. Yes. Well, go for Bugs Bunny. I know. Yeah, uh, Yosemite Sam is wearing, during that episode, is wearing one of those very distinctive Hessian hats. Yes. Uh, they're very, you think of the red coats, you think of the black tricorn hats, but the, the Hessians had the giant upward Upward mobile. Upward, <laughs> yeah, mobile. With, with the, the peak with the, at the, with the top. little, yeah, with the little dot on top yeah. of that. <laughs> Usually dressed in elaborate, like, green, and it would be sort of what you think of as, like, a grenadier kind of hat. It was very painted gold, usually. And they were very much into the taller is more intimidating look. Yep. <laughs> so that was really cool for us to learn that. And it was really cool for me as a historian, too, to learn that my ancestor came over during a very important part of American history. Yeah, it is interesting when you look back at where the regions of our family, our Italian part of our history, um, the family is from near Pompeii. So I thought that was interesting. I wonder, historically, when did they go to that region? So it was not like right next to it, but near it, near enough where you think, oh, their history could have been changed by that too. So Mm -hmm. it'd be fun to find out more information about our ancestors from those regions. Yeah. Yep. And it's cool to, to know that one of your ancestors, at least, was here at the beginning of the nation. Yeah. And since he looks like he took the colonies up on the option to buy farmland, <laughs> that he was a Hessian without no aggression. Right. <laughs> well, theoretically. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yes. So that ends part one of our Independence Day podcast. And we'll continue next week with more fun topics. As always, we end each podcast with our future festivities. This will be for the week of June 24th. So June 24th is Swim-A-Lap Day. I'm reading over your shoulder. Completely thought that that was a typo and it said Swim-A-Lamp Day. <laughs> no. I'm not, I'm doing sure. some weird ones. I wasn't sure that. what that meant. But <laughs> June 25th is Log Cabin Day. June 26th is National Canoe Day. Fort Royal is sometimes considered the canoe capital of the United States. It's a very rustic kind of three three days. (laughs) That's right, it is. Swim go to your log cabin. And then then canoe. Very outdoorsy, isn't it? June 27th is Helen Keller Day. June 28th, Paul Bunyan Day, another famous American. Another rustic kind (laughs) of thing. And we have an episode that includes information about Paul Bunyan. That's episode 2.8, the Eighth episode of our second season. June 29th is Hug Holiday. So we had Hug Your Cat Day already. So uh, this is Hug Holiday. And June 30th is Meteor Day. It's the dinosaur's least favorite day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. We, we can't ask anymore. You can always follow us on social media. For Twitter, we are at Holiday underscore Moons. On Instagram, we are at Holiday Moons. On Facebook, you can find us both Facebook page and group by searching Holiday Moons. And you can contact us at any time at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So for Beth, Randy, Sydney, and Cole, Happy Independence Day! Day.